Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to The Business of You. If you're a product-based entrepreneur, then today's episode is for you. I had so much fun interviewing today's guest, who's Jimmy Gould. Jimmy has a super fascinating story. He worked in the finance industry and left, probably I would say, around his midlife to start a product-based business called Soap Standal. And he created Soap Standal from a personal need, which I'll let you hear when you tune into the episode. But he's created this little product after making a 3D, um, a 3D version of it, had the product made, produced, it's being manufactured, and he's selling it like hotcakes. So definitely tune in to today's episode of The Business of You, especially if you are hoping to create a product and sell it. You'll enjoy today's episode with Jimmy Gould. Jimmy, it's so great to have you on The Business of You. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. How's your day going so far? Uh, It's been a good morning. Good, good, good. (laughs) Excellent. Well, we'll dive right in. Um, You have such a fascinating background and have recently developed a, a unique product. Um, would love to hear what your journey was from, say, you know, what did you study in college? And and tell us a little bit about your career path to how you got to where you are today. Okay. Um, well, I studied business in college. Uh, not that I necessarily had a particular affinity for it. My brother had studied business. I followed him. I figured that'd be, you know, good enough for me. So um got out of school, started work at a bank and a management training program. Uh, lots of nice folks, learned a lot about credit, learned about managing a, a branch, um, but they didn't pay me very much. And so I needed <laughs> I needed more money. So I got into the securities business as a as a stockbroker. And um, that went well, um, learned the the investment side of things, and then was with a small municipal bond firm. So I concentrated on bonds, and that led me to um, being an institutional uh, fixed income salesman uh, with a couple of different firms. The longest stretch was with Morgan Keegan, a, a regional firm here headquartered in Memphis. And that was a fantastic career. It was great people. Um, just, it was a, a fun era of the 80s and 90s and 2000s to be in that business and, and with that firm. Um, and and that was, you know, I was a pretty successful salesman. It was, it was a successful firm. But 
as I stumbled across the, and I, I think that's an accurate way to put it, that I stumbled across the soap scandal. I want, I used to have a bad hip. I've got a great hip now because I had it replaced. But one morning in the shower, I think the genesis of this is that I dropped a bar of soap and my hip was hurting. And so literally it was a pain to get to retrieve the bar of soap. And I thought there should be a way to not drop a bar of soap. So I um, thought about it. My dad was an engineer. He was always figuring things out. I think I kind of just learned that mindset. And so I got a, some modeling clay and I made a little oval and I fired that in the oven, stuck it into the bottom of a bar of soap and it worked. That was enough of a contact point for my hand that the bar didn't slip out of my hand. Interesting. So as I would set it down on the side of the tub, after a few days, I noticed, wow, it doesn't get all gooey like the bar of soap normally does. Mm -hmm. And you, know, you could observe it and see that the water's draining off. So that's why it was able to dry. And then after maybe a week or two, it seemed that the bar lasted longer. Mm. And, you know, that was something I could measure. So I yeah. got two bars, one without anything attached to it, and one with this yet unnamed thing attached to it, and discovered that it lasted about 20 or 30% longer. Wow. So at that point, I thought, well, I thought two things. One, I should see if other people agreed with me. And two, I thought, soap has been around so long, this has already been done by someone. Mm -hmm. So I started looking online. I looked in local stores. I couldn't find anything. And at the same time, I was getting feedback from people that, um, I mean, I had a few 3D printed uh, by a school, my kids' school that had 3D printers. This was, you know, a long time ago. And um, so as I got them to friends, they the feedback was, I hate gooey soap. You know, this is great. So at that point, when I when I was getting positive feedback and I couldn't find it anywhere, I thought maybe I can get it patented. So I went that route and I was able to, to get the patent within about 14 months, which was pretty good. Um, and then I just decided that I needed to see where I could take it. So I still did it kind of on the side, but I was I was getting orders. I was printing them in my garage. I was hand sanding them to get rid of the <laughs> excess plastic. And um, at that point, I decided to stop being a fixed income salesman and see where I could would take this manufacturing wise and make it a real business. And that was 2018? It was introduced um, at one of the big trade shows, the America's uh, Mark Show in okay. Atlanta, January of 2018. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you're, you kind of got me at modeling clay. Not everybody has modeling clay in their house to just kind of whip <laughs> well, up Well, I didn't either. I, I went and bought some oh, at a craft you did. store. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. So that idea must have really been, you know, like staying with you kind of bothering you right for you to go and and actually create something well you know i mentioned my dad he mm -hmm. if he he was an engineering professor mm. and um if something in the house needed fixing he fixed it if something just he just would figure things out yeah and so even as a little kid i tried to figure stuff out i mean if mm -hmm. i was you know i'm supposed to cut the grass every week um 
I just thought there must be an easier way to do this. You know, can <laughs> I figure out the right pattern to just save myself 10 minutes? Because right. at the time I figured I'm going to be cutting the grass for the rest of my life. You know, <laughs> if I could figure it out now, that would be good. I think my dad looked at me like maybe I was a little lazy because I was just sitting there looking at the yard <laughs> trying to figure this out. And and I've done that with a lot of things, just trying to figure yes. like I haven't figured a lot of things out, um, but I figured this one out. So it's, yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, those early um, products, those early versions of the soap standal, when you said you were rubbing the plastic off them, was that yeah. from the 3D printer, those models, or had you actually yeah. found? Okay. That was from the 3D printer. I bought probably, you know, kind of a, a mid-grade 3D yeah. printer. Uh, it wasn't just a hobby one, yes, but it certainly wasn't a sophisticated one either. Yeah, so the, the plastic that comes out, you know, it's not a, it's not a perfect print. Um, there's some rough stuff. So yeah, if I was, you know, if someone is going to go to the trouble of ordering something online, I wanted to at least send them something that was as good as, as I could make it. Even though it was kind of crude ABS plastic. Right. At least I could smooth out the edges. Gotcha. So the show in 2018, was it the 3D model plastic versions or had you found no, a no. manufacturer? I, okay. had, I had gotten that injection mold manufactured. Um, and just about 20 days before the show started, I got the first first batch. Perfect timing. So, yeah. So what was the process from the um, 3D plastic molds to finding a manufacturer? How did you even find a manufacturer for this? Were well, they there, I, based I in went, the US? To, um, went to a platform that you can load your um, CAD okay. um, file into. Uh -huh. And then it will, it will go out to, you know, 100 different uh, manufacturers mm. with that file and saying, you know, do you want to provide a quote for this? And I got a response from about 20 different firms. Hmm. A lot of those responses were, um, or at least a number of them were, you need to change your design mm. because, you know, this won't work. And then a few were, would you mind changing your design? Because this would make the process uh, more manufacturable and less expensive for mm. you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, then one guy came back and said, yeah, we can do this. Um, you know, we got to put a couple of slides into the into the mold. Um, it's not as inexpensive as if you did change your design, but we understand, you know, this is what you want. And we don't think it, it's going to be too expensive anyway. Hmm. And I've done business with that guy ever since. Hmm. And you never changed the design? Never changed the design. Really? Interesting. Well, okay. no, I'll take that back. I did make one tweak to the to the one side of the prongs. Okay. Made the mold more efficient. Okay. But, um, that was a small change. And the changes that other people were talking about were, were significantly more. Okay. And were most of these companies or individuals that were responding to the manufacturing, were they U.S.-based or did this go international? This was all, I had limited the responses to just U.S. manufacturers. Okay. I thought that was an important way to introduce it, that it was all made in the U.S. Okay, so you send uh, you send this prototype 
to and the plans to MFG, you get a manufacturer, you start making them, and then you go to the show in 2018. Have you left your job yet when you left the show? Uh, yes. oh, okay. Wow. I mean, that's a pretty big risk, right? It is. You were probably fairly senior in your banking career at that point, I'm guessing. I was, although I didn't have the, um, I didn't, I, my my firm that I enjoyed so much yes. had been acquired by okay. another one. So I had left. I didn't really want to be part of the of the new one. Sure. So I had left and been at a couple of different firms. And those experiences weren't the great experience that I had at, at Morgan Keaton. Okay. So um, it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I was certainly um, <laughs> some people might term it experience. Some people might say I was long in the tooth, <laughs> but it didn't feel like a huge sacrifice uh-huh. to make a change because I was ready to make a change. Right, right. And then um, just, I mean, another part of it is that I had a lot of support from my wife. She yes. was, she wasn't. I mean, there were certainly some eye rolling uh, moments where she's like, oh, my gosh, you know, you're spending all your time on this crazy thing. But for the most part, she was very supportive and and just, you know, felt like felt like I, you know, had something to to pursue and figure out. Yeah. I'll tell you one quick story about that initial show. Um, I had decided eight days before the show to go attend. Okay. So, you know, there, there's only one or two booth spaces left. So you look at the map, you yeah. say, okay, I'll take that one. Um, it was a, a six by eight open uh, square, you know, that, that that's where my booth was. What didn't appear on the map is that at that initial opening of six feet, there was a two and a half foot column that was at that opening. Oh, so I no. put a table. It was I had the worst booth among three huge buildings in Atlanta, but I had the best staff uh-huh. because my brother joined me and my wife joined me. OK. And my wife is a, a former ballerina, oh. actress, model. I mean, she's great. She can talk to anyone. She's very engaging. People love talking to her. Um and my brother was is a venture capitalist. He's been in sales his whole career. He's great too. So I had this, I had these great people in the worst booth. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we had some decent success. You know, we talked to a lot of people. We um, we ended up shipping to di- fourteen different states as a result of that. Wow. Um, so we're leaving Atlanta, and I'm taking my brother to the airport. And he said, you know, the reason I wanted to come is just to, I mean, you know, I've heard about it from you and I've used it and I know it works, but I wanted to see other people's reactions. And he said, so now that I've seen that, I'm convinced that, you know, they can understand what's going on and and that you've got something. He said, well, you've got something unless you screw it up. <laughs> Actually, he used something a little stronger yeah but, but. Um, but anyway that's what i'm trying to do not screw it up yeah yeah <laughs> well i mean you've been at this in 1921 five years six years yeah, right? right so i'd say you're well on your path i think most entrepreneurs drop out after about a year or so so you're um of a, yeah, it does in a minority like, you know, group. There, there's 
there's traction. Yes. Um, we have one, well, 80% of our revenue is with one company. Okay. So, you know, our goal is to diversify that mm-hmm. customer base and we need to find two or three or four more mm-hmm. like that. And then, I mean, what we have now is real. You know, we've got mid six figures on on revenues. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it bumps up more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we can, if we can duplicate, a, you know, a couple of more customers like that or get into some big national retail, which yeah. I think we may be on the cusp of. Right. Um, this is an easily manufactured item. Um, you know, we can right now our capacity is about 900,000 a year mm-hmm. with one manufacturer. We've to got make 900,000 units? Yeah. You mean? Okay. Uh-huh. And we've got another manufacturer that to diversify our manufacturing capability, we've got a firm in Chicago okay. and an injection mold manufacturer in Pennsylvania as well. Oh, so okay. From one source, we got 900,000. The other one can probably do about a million too. So I think, you know, we can, we don't have those, the magnitude of those orders yet, but we can reach it um, pretty quickly if we need yeah. to. Yeah. Well, and I love that you've already got the uh, manufacturers identified. So the second that big order is placed, you are ready to go. Ready yeah, that's what we're trying to trying to be smart about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm really curious to know what was it like in your home, or at least in your your decision making process, as you were leaving a job that was a sure thing in terms of income, right? In terms of yeah. Well, as, as thing as as commission sales can be, yeah, yeah. That's a, so. You, there was already kind of like a risk element to your, or a variable to your revenue. Since I left the bank in you know my my management training job in 1986, uh-huh. I've been on commission starting at zero every month. Wow! Also, so, purely commission sales. Purely commission. No draw, no base salary, no nothing. So the idea of not having a salary, I mean, you're right. I mean, I did have something consistent. Yes. And it, you know, it's something that I could count on. Right. But as far as the 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 idea of of no salary or you know, um eating what you kill, right? Idea. Um, I'd been living with that for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Which is probably great training for yeah. what you're doing now. I think it is. Yeah. So, but, but again, like, what did you do to prepare, say, um, fiscally to be able to go into an endeavor that was not only not going to create revenue for you in the, at least right. a year to investing in it? Because you, to this day, have not taken outside investment. So right. this also became something you had to put a lot of money into. So how how did you um, prepare yourself financially to be able to do that? Yeah, um, well, I didn't, I mean, I didn't have to put a lot of money into it. I did okay. have to, you know, kind of satisfy myself and my wife that, um, you know, we could do this. Right. He's. She founded a really successful nonprofit here. Mm. Um, she's her own. She's the best entrepreneur I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in its 20th year, hugely successful. Amazing. A ton of kids. 
uh, is very, very rewarding um, artistically and creatively. So I had a great example of someone that has, you know, tackled something new. And um, then I had a lot of support from her. And we, I mean, you know, we weren't in the position of having to rely on what I would bring in or not bring in. Okay. So that was, that was really just a lot to her credit, kind yeah. of being understanding and being willing to um, kind of swallow hard and go, okay, you know, <laughs> try to make it work. You're right, right. Right. And then, I mean, the margins, you know, the margins are good on, a, on a small um, injection molded item that mm -hmm. is, you know, it's patented. So mm -hmm. I can exercise some some pricing mm -hmm. uh, there that mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to if it mm -hmm. weren't a patented product. So, yeah, that that has has worked over the past few years as far as, you know, kind of scaling into producing more, um, selling more. Mm -hmm. And um, and if those margins weren't pretty nice, that would have been much more difficult to do. Sure, sure, sure. What have been some of your biggest challenges to date in this endeavor? Well, it's a it's a challenge that is ongoing. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like, well, and I'll just feel like, I, I literally am wearing lots of different hats because um, when I was, in a sales career, there were professionals all around me that did all those other jobs. We had lawyers in-house. We had marketing people. We had operations people. All I had to do was sell something. And then I had a lot of support in place to handle the rest of that transaction. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I'm wearing all those hats. And if there's a manufacturing decision to be made, I don't, I don't need to to make the decision, I probably have to go learn something about the process before I make the decision. So mm -hmm. I can talk with the, the injection mold guy about it and learn, you know, how the gate is operating and, and do I want to pay for an enhancement to the gate? Um, you know, packaging, uh, we've, we've just used cardstock. So every, you know, it's all biodegradable, but if mm -hmm. we go into some of these more national retail type names, uh, we're probably going to have to use some, some, um, you know, plastic covering to that. Okay. And um, so I got to make those decisions. Sure. There's a lot of legal stuff to figure out, you know, from the patent or negotiating a contract or anyway, just mm -hmm. there's, it's a seemingly endless mm -hmm. list mm -hmm. of, stuff that I need to be able to handle every yeah. day. And so, and then on top of all of that um, is sales. Yes. You know, if we don't kind of manage the sales process correctly, then all this other stuff doesn't matter. True. And so I've been lucky with a couple of people on, not on a full-time basis, but they've helped me out on, on some sales stuff. But I'm getting to the point that, Either I've got to dedicate more hours to the sales process or I got to hire someone full time. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's a big step. Um, but for us to really kind of get to the next level, that's that's got to happen. So that that's a wholesale question. 
We're mm-hmm. on Amazon. We've been pursuing that for a few years now, and I've got a consulting firm that that manages that for me. And then the uh, DTC sales to soapstandle.com, I haven't done any real advertising there yet, but we're getting ready to. So we're okay. going to spend some money there. So I'm learning about Google and keywords yeah. and all that. So anyway, that's the ongoing challenge is to just keep all those plates spinning. Yes. So they're not crashing all around me. Yeah. Have you discovered some strengths in yourself, Jimmy, that you didn't realize you had with this endeavor? Besides plate spinning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I have been able to uh, maintain a fairly even keel, mm. I think, in spite of, you know, a plate or two crashing at a point. Um, mm. um, I mean, even, I mean, sales, you know, can be a pretty nerve wracking thing and it can be frustrating and you get a lot of no's. And um, but it it I think it was useful to learn early in my career that each one of those no's just gets you closer to a yes. Mm. So that's that's what I've tried to focus on in the sales world. And I've just tried to kind of adopt the same attitude with this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where do you see yourself taking the company in the future? Well, as of a couple of years ago, I said that within five years. Substandal would be used throughout the United States mm-hmm. within 10 years, used throughout the world. Hmm. I don't think that's, I mean, in one way, that sounds pretty lofty and um, maybe a little too ambitious. But in another respect, I don't think it's out of possibility at all. Yeah. Um, 64% of households in the United States still use bar soap. Hmm. That's 200 million people. Yeah. Um, we probably sold this year, we will sell our millionth soap stamp. Oh, congrats. So there are a lot more people that need to be made aware of this because yeah. each use of a bar of soap with a soap stand on it is better than without it. Right. Especially. It dries off, it lasts longer, it doesn't slip out of your hand. Yeah. So I really do think that that the US component of that is um achievable. And then when you think about soap, it's used all over the world. There's nothing uh, national or regional um, about yes. soap or about using a soap standalone bar of soap. I mean, people in South America are just gonna are gonna find it just as useful as people here do. True. In Europe, people in Australia, people in Africa. So I would like to uh, kind of infiltrate one continent at a time mm-hmm. and maybe and i i don't really know this yet um there may be advantages to manufacturing in each one of those spots mm-hmm. uh, so maybe maybe the path is to identify partners and have a south american partner mm-hmm. have an australian partner um i don't know yet yeah but as far as what i'd like to do i'd like to make them all over the world and have People use soap standles everywhere. Yeah. Um, a lot of people assume that what I'm trying to do is to build this for a year or two and then sell it. And I mean, that I'm not ruling that out, but that's not really the plan. Mm-hmm. I'd love to keep it going and mm-hmm. introduce more products and just sell a bunch more soap standles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> How did you come up with the name Soap Scandal? Uh, it just seemed it just seemed logical. Yeah. It was a stand and a handle. Right. And so I just called it that. There's a the kind of the dean of um, marketing and advertising in the Memphis area uh, is he's 80, 89 now. Mm -hmm. uh, he was kind of a, a friend of a friend. And mm -hmm. I was able to get in front of him and ask his advice. And um, so anyway, we went back and forth on it a little bit. He was unconvinced at first, but then he got to the point that he's like, you know, maybe we could, maybe we could take this somewhere. He hated the name soap stand. Mm -hmm. he said, that doesn't mean anything. No one knows anything about that. Nah, we're not going to do that. Um, so I was telling him that I had been with some friends um, out of town and I had given everyone a soap standle. And, and so one of my friend's wives said the next day, she said, oh, you know, um, that soap thing. And so I told him that and he said, that's it. That's what we're going to eat. That's what we're going to call it. I love that. So, and then I started talking to lawyers. You can't really protect that soap thing. Yeah. It's, it's generic. Right. Um, it was already being used in England mm. commercially. <clears throat> um, so I couldn't trademark it. Anyway, I just decided to go with what I liked. Mm -hmm. And I thought, even though people don't know what it is, we'll make up a new word. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if it, so the, that soap thing might have been dramatically better. I do, I do own that website, that soap thing, and it okay. redirects to soapstandle.com. Oh, that's funny. I'm curious, as you were talking a little bit earlier, have you have you identified pathways into selling into the big box stores like a Target or a Walmart? Yeah, I mean, you know, there are there are rep firms that have relationships okay. with those big buyers. Um I've I've tried just, you know, through my own individual efforts to get yes. into a couple of them. Um, I've had limited success going down that pathway, you know, ultimately to be to not succeed. Um, right. I don't know if I was two steps away or, you know, five steps away. Um, but the rep firm is is a much more. I mean, it's not a certainty, but it's, right. I'm pretty confident I'm going to get further down the path. Um, and without giving up a huge percentage, I mean, they seem mm. pretty reasonable. So anyway, that's, that's what I'm doing currently. Okay. Um, just engaged with those uh, rep firms. We've had one that's kind of been on board for about four months. Oh. Um, haven't seen really anything happen there yet. I was on the phone yesterday uh -huh. with a new one. Um, that was, he was really encouraging. Uh, we're just going to tweak some packaging, uh, for yeah. some of those types of buyers. And, um, anyway, we'll see maybe yeah. in three months, I can report to you that, that we're going into, you know, 5,000 locations. Yeah. Would that be your next, um, I'd say like primary goal is just to get a big buyer on board like that? Yeah, I mean that's what can I think that's what can move the needle the most yes. the fastest. Right. Um, I mean, we would love to, you know, identify another Dr. Squatch. That's our biggest customer. Right. If we get a couple of more of those partnerships. types uh -huh. of partnerships, that would be fantastic. Yeah, if we can get into to CVS or Target or uh, whomever, um yeah. 
those would be obviously big game changers too. You got my wheels turning, Jimmy, on, on ways to grow this. I find it so fascinating. We're just trying to be flexible. I mean, um, lots of times when I've w- kind of been posed that question of, you know, are you more interested in wholesale or in DTC mm-hmm. or, you know, just pursuing Amazon? Usually my answer is yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, we want to, I don't want to spread myself too thin. Right. And I don't want to fool myself that I'm doing something effectively when I'm really not. But, you know, I, I think it can, I think it can succeed on each of those uh, levels and, right. and pathways. I mean, there's no reason we can't sell direct to the consumer, but also be in target and also have partnerships with sub companies. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um. When you think of your, you know, yourself and the attributes that have really helped push this forward, what would you say are this, you know, not just your strengths, but like attributes of your personality that have really helped establish and grow this brand? Um, Okay. Well, I think I'm generally optimistic. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't get down on myself very easily. Mm hmm. We all do from time to time, and I'm no exception to that. But I, uh, <laughs> I bounce back pretty quickly, um, and I, you know, I think I find humor pretty easily in situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm willing to laugh at myself, um, and and I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, curiosity is what led to the soap stand. Just mm-hmm. trying to figure something out. Yeah, yeah. So um, I do love. Have you watched Ted Lasso? Yes. Do you remember the the um, bar, the darts scene where he's playing darts against the you know kind of the evil uh, other soccer club owner? And, oh yes, in the bar, right? right? Yes. And he wins. Yes. Yeah, and he's talking about curiosity. Yes. That's my favorite scene. It's fantastic. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great show. <laughs> um, one thing I love that you've done with your brand, I don't know if you've done this knowingly or it's just in, so innate to you, but you've injected humor into in personality um, into the brand. So for example, you have a, uh, your email signup says warning, signing up for our emails will result in audible laughs, a sense of community and occasional specials. <laughs> was that just something innate was that uh, no, I mean we're just trying to you know we're trying to find opportunities to not be super serious yeah uh, and um I mean it, it's nothing that, that we've done but again looking at the Dr. Squatch stuff they yes. are re- they're really funny yeah uh, we've tried to put you know a few like there's a historical series of soap scandal users. I mean, we talk about that Winston Churchill would have loved the soap scandal. Uh-huh. We, um, you know, Genghis Khan. Anyway, just yeah, we're just trying to trying to make make the point of what the soap scandal can do. Yeah, and make a connection that will get people to pay attention. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen those Old Spice commercials? 
Yeah. That, okay. That's what, a little bit what this reminds me of. Not, not the warning part, but I mean, I could see you doing a whole series like that with the soap scandal, right? For, yeah. as you mentioned, Winston Churchill, that's what made me think of it. Of like, you can take the soap scandal into different parts of, of history, right? Because bar soap's been around forever. It's right. not a new, exactly. right? Yeah. When I started this, I, I mean, soap's been around for 4,000 years. And so I figured someone had done this, but yeah. No, (laughs) Jimmy Gould needed to come around and do it. I love it. I love it. Well, Jimmy, where's the best place for people to learn about you? Where can people buy their own soap standle besides Amazon? Well, on Amazon um, Uh at soapstandle.com. And there are some, there's also a a site called barsoapinfo.com that has a lot of articles on it just about hygiene and the chemistry of soap and Mm. the best, you know, the best smelling soaps. I mean, just when we encounter kind of industry articles, we put them on barsoapinfo.com. Okay. And that material, that content has, um, we've included that in some blog entries on soapstandle.com as well. I mean, that's all, you know, to generate positive SEO ratings. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, and then that we've, We've had some um, nice PR success. Uh, mm-hmm. The Wall Street Journal uh, mm-hmm. talked about us. Um, Good Housekeeping has written us up awesome. a couple of times with very positive reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, it's wonderful to, to appear on blogs like this. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's some information out there. Awesome. We'll look it up and we'll put the links in the show notes. And it's been wonderful hearing about your journey. Thank you very much. It's it's been great talking to you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to The Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.